Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Music Note Podcast, where we'll be exploring the different occupations and careers linked to the art of music. I'm your host, Lori Leanne. In episode four, my special guest is Chad Wright. Besides a drummer and touring musician, Chad is also a music director and recording engineer. He has toured with Shaka Khan, the Jacksons, and currently with Bruce Hornsby. Listen as he talks about his time at Berkeley and how he pursued his dream by moving to Los Angeles. Hey Chad, and welcome to the Music Note Podcast. Thank you so much for being on this fourth episode. I met you years ago when you were the drummer of Shaka Khan, and I met you through our mutual friend, bass player Melvin Lee Davis. Besides a drummer, you're also a music director and a recording engineer. How would you describe your profession as a whole? As a whole, that's a good question. As a whole, I'm a musician first and foremost. Um, I think the other things, musical director or producer or songwriter, they came uh, haphazardly. They came out of, some things like producer came out of um, necessity of invention. In other words, like no one else would produce me or whatever I was doing. So I just figured it out for myself with my brother or my buddies. Uh, Musical director, same thing. I just kind of fell into it. It was, it was asked upon me and and I took it as a challenge. I like challenges. And I had worked enough with some of the best Melvin Lee Davis, you know, Rob Bacon, Ricky Minor. I literally watched all these guys fortunately next to me. So I felt the confidence to, uh, Give it a shot. So how did your musical journey start? I mean, from the very beginning, when did you know I want to be in music? I, you know what? I think my soul was born with it. But when I got the inkling um, was four of definitely getting my first like toy drum kit. For whatever reason, drums I gravitated to. Were you always like immediately attracted to the drums? Yeah. Always. Um, And I played, my first instrument was piano. My grandmother made my parents move her antique piano into our house. And that was my first instrument. But I never lost sight of drums. And from like four years old, always had some form of drum or drum kit. And uh, my dad, he's a big music fan. Back then, there was this group called Stuff. It had Steve Gadd, Chris Parker, Richard T, Cornell Dupree. I love this band, but I love the drum. And particularly Steve Gadd's drum solo on uh, the beginning of um, Ain't No Mountain High Enough. It was like, I, I got to find that out. And that's really what propelled me to the drum team. So did that make you decide to take on drum lessons? Yeah. Uh we moved to suburbs of Chicago in like 78. And then that spring, I started taking lessons. Spring of 79, or I started taking drum lessons, formal lessons. Yeah. Okay. After doing that, when did you decide to pursue this music career? I mean, you also studied at Berkeley, right? I did. How did you end up there? I went to another university or college. Well, now it's a university before Berkeley. My dad didn't want to pay for the tuition at Berkeley, which I can understand. It wasn't that he didn't want us to go there. He was just like, that's a lot of money. And in 1989, you know, it, it was a lot of money. 
So I went to this other college in Southern Georgia. They had a great jazz band, great jazz program, great music program. And I really liked what I saw there. So I went there, did a little tour, and I really liked the touring thing. But I also realized in that first year, I wanted to get better and I wanted to be in a more popular form of music. And that wasn't the place to be. I had to go to Berkeley. And it, it wasn't anything other than, because at that time, still Berkeley was known as a jazz school. So it was more so there was a, an intuition that I'm going to get more out of this school than jazz. Even in Cal, you could see with electronic drums, because I had a fascination with electronic drums and drum machines and sequencers of that nature. The school was progressing there. You saw it visually, but they didn't really put it down on paper like that. I mean, there was an MP&E department. There was a film score and music synthesis, but it was like still more focused on the jazz music. So I transferred to Berkeley because it was just like, I got to go there, hell of high water. And I don't know what I'm going to get out of it, but I know whatever it is, is going to benefit my career. And that was that was that turning point that between that jazz band tour in Valdosta to Berkeley and just saying, this is what I'll do for the rest of my life. So how did you experience your time at Berkeley? It was great. And I know I'm, I'm being long winded, but it's funny because I, I remember everything like it was yesterday. So I get there and I register for classes. And my brother and I went together at the same time. So he's standing in line for, I don't know, like, like guitar proficiency or something like that. And he meets this bass player. Hennick went on to become a major musical director, producer in uh, the Ethiopian music world, in world music. He's a beast. They met. They get to talking. 20 minutes later, I see him. They introduce we introduce each other and, and then Hennick turns to us and says, hey, I'm playing the bass department music night in the performance center, which you guys want to play. This is within like being at Berkeley for like a week. And, you know, there were stories flying around that nobody gets to, you know, hardly anybody gets to play the performance center or it takes like till your like senior year to be in a performance center. And here we were. But it was a great experience. That's like every day was that for me at Berkeley. From that to witnessing drummers like Lil John Roberts, who obviously went on to be a force, John Blackwell, who went on to be a force, Abel Boreal Jr., who, you know, he and I would always talk and, and uh, we actually did a performance in a show together. It was great. I got to see guys like that. So basically being there got you influenced by them as well. Completely. How could you not? You know, how could you not? That, and that's every day was like that, even from every facet, from ensembles to production engineering classes to you name it. That was my experience at school. And it, it followed me to, for the rest of my career. It sounds like an amazing adventure to be at the school at that time. Oh, yeah, definitely. And musically, you learn so much by watching other people play. It's, yeah. I mean, that's what you're supposed to do, right? It's not supposed to be all consuming of yourself. You're actually supposed to, you know, my intention was to go there and get my butt kicked, you know. And essentially, I think that's what happened. So, I mean, that's just tipping the iceberg of my experience at Berkeley. And in the meantime, you also learned a lot from all the different aspects of music 
And not just drums. Yeah, not just drums, everything. Before I became a production engineering major, I was already doing stuff in the studio complex with, with other students who were in p and major. I had already had experience as a recording engineer anyway, but to kind of see it from that perspective was great. And getting to work with, before I was an mp and major, some of the professors are like Carl Beatty and Bill Shinneman, Wayne Wadhams. I mean, you know, these were guys that, you know, picking the ear of Don Pelusi. These were my heroes and they were right in front of me. And it was like, well, if there's no opportunity like now to understand what they're doing. And from a drummer perspective and a studio thing, it was great to see, to witness their perspective of my job. And even from what they expect of me physically to what they're getting out of my drum kit sonically. So it made you become a better player. Way better. Yeah. Yeah, way better. So after you graduated from Berkeley, what was your plan? Yeah, I never graduated. What? <laughs> you didn't graduate? I, I had like, you know, like two courses left or something and my parents will never forgive me for it. Yeah. So why was that? What happened? Um, well, here's, here's the other part of the answer to your question. I got tapped to do a gig with Tavares. And I figured, well, I mean, you know, they were obviously beyond their hit making years, but the band members were still stellar musicians. So I just took it and, and said, well, this is it. This has got to be a great entryway. And it was. I mean, John Kelly was the bass player, musical director. Brockett Parsons who's with Lady Gaga, he was the keyboardist. Uh, and I had done a, been in a cover band with Brockett. So watching Brockett play with his, his intelligence, and this guy, see, Brockett has the circle piano thing now, but all that stuff that he does, I watched him do with one D70 between the cover band we were in and Tavares. It blew my mind that one human being could do so much with one instrument. That was that was it. And once I did that first Tavares show, I was like, that's it. I'm good. I'm good. And and I and I got um the other turning point around the same time was there was a rock band very well known in Boston and New England. Mark Morris and Cat Tunes. The a bass player friend of mine was auditioning and they were looking for drummers and he asked if I wanted to audition with them. And the pivotal point of Berkeley and the rest of my career lied in that band because I knew I needed to change my sound. My drumming was, uh, I called it more of a sport coat. Great pocket. I had some chops so I could solo. I had all, the, all that stuff, but it, there wasn't an edge to it. And I knew I needed an edge. And um, I figured, well, let's just try out for this rock band, see what happens. And I got the gig. As a result of getting the gig, I had focused on a music that I'd grown up listening to, but very seldomly got a chance to play. And so now I was getting this opportunity to play this music that I love, rock, and all types of rock, from classic to whatever was charting, and really like nailing it, like I do with any other gig. Not learning it to just kind of learn it and play along, but learning every infection of that record or whoever was playing that record. And yeah, after that, that was, um, that was good. <laughs> school? What school? 
I was already, I was engineering at one of the studios in Boston, actually a couple of them, literally sitting behind the console. So I was doing that. I was playing drums between Tavares and doing record dates with Richard Evans and then the stuff with Katzen's. I was good. Well, when you look back, do you regret not finishing Berkeley at that time? Or are you okay with it because this is the path for you? Yeah. The, what I've come to in the last couple of years is the only regret that I have is not getting the degree. And I still kind of toy with that. Uh, of, okay, if I do get a degree, and now it's more so, well, if I get a degree maybe I won't get the degree in engineering. Maybe I won't get the degree, you know, uh, uh, there's something else that I can do. I've thought about TV production, but that's outside of Berkeley, but still, yeah, that's, that was my only regret. Now, will it have benefited me in my career? No, nothing would have changed, but just kind of having it and having the, uh, I guess, having the option. Eventually you ended up in Los Angeles. What made you decide to go there? Um, so in my final year of being in Mark Morrison Cartoons, and I was making a lot of money there, believe it or not, I turned to my first wife that was married to then, and it just and part of the deal was if I if we get married, we kind of have to move to L.A. I've always wanted to move to L.A. Uh, no, not always wanted to. I was always going to. Los Angeles was was it. In 99, I came out to L.A. just to kind of check it out. Met with some friends and moved out here and had just decided this, this is definitely it. And then in spring of 2000, I moved to L.A., just jumped and moved. What was that like? I mean, wasn't it difficult to try and get into the music scene, especially in Los Angeles, because the music industry is so huge over there? Um, well, my whole point, especially to younger people who want to do this is when your heart is set on it, it's not a difficulty at all because you're going to do, you know, what it takes. This is, it goes beyond a living. It goes, it, it's, it's about satisfying the soul. So you'll do whatever it takes and you won't mind it. I mean, the whole point of this journey is difficulties. That's how you get better. That's how you get smarter. It's how you get more creative, how you get more intuitive. So, um, so no, it may have been looked upon by my first wife as a bit selfish because as I had discovered once I moved out here, she didn't want to move. So we wound up getting a divorce. Call me heartless. I was okay with that. And the reason why I was okay with that was I knew that my destiny was here and it was still a little late in the game for me. I mean, when I moved out here, I was 29. And, you know, a lot of my friends were already well established, but I didn't look at it like that. I, I knew that if I had come out here four years after Berkeley, I wouldn't have been ready. I mean, I would have still gotten, still had a great career. I probably would have gone a different path, but I needed whatever was happening between Berkeley and Boston to be out here. So you actually had a goal in mind for yourself of what you wanted to accomplish. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it was totally, yeah. And the goal was, let's, I'm going to get a tour, which will lead to another tour, which will lead to another tour. It could be small, it could be big, whatever. But that's what I'm after out here. So after making that move, what was the first tour you went on? 
Actually, first tour literally with Shaka. Yeah. I had a tour with an artist, Maggie Louie. She had a deal. It was a movie thing, if I remember correctly, with Hollywood Pictures. The, the tour, the record and all that was kind of around this thing. She wound up getting sick and the tour got canceled. But we rehearsed and um, it, it was actually very interesting because I got that gig three months after moving to L.A. Yeah. And we rehearsed for like three or four months every week. And I was on salary. It wasn't a lot of money, but it was it, I could pay my rent and all my bills and all that stuff and eat. It was cool. So I did that. And then it got canceled. Maybe a week after it got canceled, I was doing the lounge gig at the Ritz Carlton and Marina Del Rey. It was a very important point to my career focus. Sam Sims, bass player who I grew up around in Atlanta, was staying there because he was going out on tour with Backstreet Boys. So he comes in from rehearsal, looks in the lounge, and he sees me, goes to his room, puts his stuff down, comes back. So we talk. And I had and explained to him, he was asking how things were going. And I'm like, you know, I just moved out here, blah, 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 blah. But I said, yeah, man, I had this tour and it just got canceled. You know, it's like, I don't know what to do, but I'm still getting checks because the deal with the contract was if the tour gets canceled, you still get paid. And I'm like, every week the checks are flowing like we're out there. Sam said, well, that's great because that's a rare thing. I've never done a tour where they've ever paid me if it was ever canceled. And he explained some things that were going on, like some Michael stuff that he, he had committed to in the past. So I found that as refreshing, but he also gave me a piece of advice that night, which was don't turn down any gig, no matter how big, no matter how small, take the gig. You don't know who's going to be on that gig, which will lead you to the next gig, which is probably what you're after. And it's sure enough, he was so right. You know, it happened on so many occasions. So how did you land the gig with Shaka Khan? Um, so I just started dating Narika. She had just gotten this gig. Well, she'd been playing with Ollie Woodson of The Temptations. But uh, the regular musical director couldn't do the date. So he asked Narika to MD the gig. Said, fine, no problem. So she put the band together. It was me. And we were having a conversation one day and she said, man, I should probably get just Melvin Davis should hear you play. And I'm looking at her like, how do you know Melvin Davis? And uh, and she's like, oh, yeah, I met him. So we do this gig. We do this Ollie Woodson gig. And uh, he and I are reading because <laughs> we've never done a gig before. We had like one rehearsal, but we're still reading, you know. So the, the, the gig was outdoors. So we were really concentrating to not let the paper fly. So in my head, I'm going, well, he can't be paying attention to what I'm doing because he's like me. We're just trying to make sure we maintain, you know, with paper flying everywhere. At the end of the gig, he turns to Noriko and he, he um, asked her if she was available to do a Shaka thing to sub for Andy Weiner. And she said, yeah. And then they went and they went off starting to do the thing. And then one day I, I went and hung out at a sectional she was doing with Melvin for the show. And then Melvin turned to me and he, in a, just a matter of fact, Melvin way said, hey, Michael Bland's leaving the gig. Would you be interested in Chaka's gig? Hell yeah. <laughs> Let's go. So, you know, I didn't think anything of it. 
and they did some shows. And then I got this email from Shaka's manage, road manager at the time. And it was itinerary. And I was like, wow, this is really happening. Because this is, this is within a year, a year and three months of me moving to L.A. And I had given myself a timeline of about three years to really land something good. You know, I could sink my teeth into and then get my career off and running from L.A. So it was it was cool. And then Melvin had done a, another cool thing, which was um, he asked me to play on his uh, Nature Serenade album. He was using that as a really cool like audition for the Shaka thing. And I thought, man, that's really how how cool is that? I get to like audition Flanders Cats, this legendary bass player's record that I grew up idolizing. And that's that's literally how I got the uh, the Shaka gig. And then I can recall like my first gig. The first gig was a nightmare. And it wasn't from ill preparedness. It was just like, you know, whatever could go wrong kind of went wrong. Really? How do you deal with that? Keep going. Obviously, for anybody who's never seen me, I'm a short guy. I'm like 5'2". And back then, in 2001, two, yeah, 2001, I probably barely weighed 125 pounds. And so I meet Chaka when we get to wherever the first show was. And she's looking at me like, ah, dude, you guys are messing with me. It's a joke. Because she's coming from Michael Bland to me. So... Uh, don't worry. And I, I Melvin said, don't worry, don't worry. So the first show, I break a drum head, the snare drum head, like from beat two. Pow! So I'm dealing with that. And, and I know I have to hit the crap out of the kit because she likes that. And that's no problem for me. I, I'm, I'm a little guy, but you don't have to tell me twice to hit hard. So I had to deal with that. There were monitor issues because there was a the monitor engineer was kind of a sub guy and he was doing that thing of, I think this is what you really want to hear. And he was doing it with Shaka too. And I, I just thought, well, that's not how that works. I mean, I told you what I want. You give it to me. I'm, you know, that's how it works. And he's a great guy too. So on the second show, I said, all right. And, and Shaka was really cool. She was like, Hey, look, whatever people are saying to you about how I, want drummers to play she's like you've probably been with people and they go oh shock is a singer and she's not gonna want you to do this Nuh-uh. you do you you hit i learned a new thing of dynamics with shaka which was you don't come down in volume the volume comes down by people laying out and people coming back in that's how level increases it was mind-blowing to me because no one had ever explained it to me like that in school. And I started to get the rock and roll sense of live play. Um, so se second show, I was like, I'm murdering some people. So, and, I, and I, I mentioned something to somebody like, I'm playing for my life out here because I knew this was the moment that's going to make me or break me. Whether Shaka will ever call me back again or not, if I don't deliver, then, and so I did. And, uh, and, and the rest is history. It seems like that during that time, you learned a lot while being on tour. It was a pretty long tour, right? Um, yeah, I mean, over the span of, I mean, I only did that gig from the December of 2001 to like October of 2002. But that was exactly what you wanted, right? 
That's exactly what I want. It's exactly what I want. And I wasn't married anymore. So it was like, I don't have to worry about leaving. I could just leave, you know? And even though I was dating Enrico at the time, she was a tour musician. So she understood you. Exactly. So when the tour ended, what did you do during that time? Did you do more studio work? Um, what did I, I did do a lot of studio work during the Shaka year. I did some Hollywoods and stuff. I wound up getting called to do Monica. So that was a very cool thing. So I started to, to, to work with Monica with Rob Bacon. Rob was the musical director. And then Melvin recommended me to Lee Rittenauer while I was out with Shaka. So it was like Melvin, Melvin saving Grace Davis. So you go from Shaka Khan, who is like funk, pop, soul, R&B, to Lee Rittenauer, who's mostly jazz. How do you practice the repertoire? What's the best way to learn a song? Um, no matter what the gig, I just learn them verbatim first and foremost. And that, that was basically, I mean, most of the Lee stuff, I had all the albums. <laughs> so I just kind of knew. I mean, you know, they sent me the live recordings with Sonny playing and stuff. So I was kind of, it was like, I'm already there. But still, and again, just like with, prepping for Shaka or any other gig, it was just learning the inflections. And when I prepared for Shaka's thing, much like a Lee thing with the studio records and different drummers, with Shaka's gig, it was three drummers I was learning from, Sonny Emery, Michael Bland, and David Haynes. So I had three personalities that she really loved to embody. On top of that, she was just coming off of the Rufus and Shaka Khan reunion tour. So JR was doing that. So then she was used to getting JR's feel for that last year. So I had to bring that in. So all these four personalities had to come in. And so my thing was forget about being a Chad, right? I need to please what she wants. And it was the same thing with Lee. You know, I need to give him whatever he's used to. And that's, yeah, that was, that's it. I mean, it's, it's just that simple to me. You just embody whatever that person's doing on the record or that show and become that. So after touring with Chaka Khan and with Lee Rittenauer, I mean, you also toured with Michael Bolton, but you ended up also with the Jacksons. How did you get that gig? Oh man, it's by chance. It was completely by chance. So the way I got the Jacksons was after Chaka, after Lee, I'd done some more stuff, Tina Marie, Rick James. And then at the end of a Tina tour, uh, I had been asked by a Berkeley friend of mine, Cheche Alara. Uh, this is where the Berkeley network comes back. He asked me to do uh, Mario Vasquez promo dates from American Idol. We did those. He liked what I did for that. And then he asked me to go and audition for High School Musical, the concert tour. And Ricky Minor was the, I call him the executive musical director. But then Cheche Alara and Matt Rohde were the tour musical directors. They were co-directors. So Cheche and Ricky asked me to come down. I auditioned, got the gig. I, I put High School Musical in there because after the High School Musical tour, I went straight into rehearsals with Corbin Blue for three years and, and was his musical director for three years. So in the second year of Corbin's tour, he brought in Rex Salas as musical director. So Rex was, as I like to call it, the executive musical director. And then I was the tour musical director. So we do the second tour, which was so much fun. 
and and I had met Rex before, but never got a chance to work with him. So now it was like, oh, this is great. I get to, and we became great friends. And and I just saw we we have a similar way of working and like the same types of things. So then I get the Michael Bolton tour, and I'm tying all this together because um, L- word travels fast in L.A. So. I'm doing Michael Bolton and then everybody knows that Michael loves to work. So that means that Chad's not available for work, which is kind of (laughs) true at that time. But um, one day I get a call from Rex and Rex asks me about this drummer, Charles Streeter. I said, man, Charles is one of my favorite drummers. You know, he's from Memphis. He's killing. And he'd auditioned for Michael Bolton with me. So uh, he's like, okay, yeah, we just, tapped him to do this Jackson's reunion show. It was just, it was just a one-off at that time. I said, oh man, that's great. He was like, yeah, I was going to call you, but he's like, I know, you know, you're with Michael and you're probably not working. I was like, well, Rex, my phone works everywhere. Just call me next time. I could be available. He's like, well, we're going to rehearse in October, but the show is in December. I was like, well, what are the dates? So he gave me the dates. I'm like, dude, I'm literally off in that chunk of time because, you know, in October, we're taking like two, three weeks off right in their time when they were, the Jacksons were rehearsing. Like, Michael's got to do something else. And then we reconvene. And then I'm like, December, after Thanksgiving, we're taking like two, three weeks off because he's got to go and do a David Foster tour. So Rex goes, oh, no, don't tell me that. I'm like, well, next time, just call. But I'm like, you can't go wrong with Charles, you know, street is the man. So they go and they do the show. And now it's April of 2012 and J-Lo, it was all over the news. J-Lo was going back out on tour. It was a big tour. And I knew a lot of guys that auditioned. I knew uh, the drummer that got in the gig. So I was like, man, that band's going to be crazy. So um, I'm in Australia doing a tour with Michael, doing an orchestra tour. I mean, we were, I think we were over there for like three or four weeks or something like that. I get into my hotel in Sydney. We have like a couple of days off. I sit down and look on Facebook. And Streeter has posted, God is good, going on the J-Lo tour. So it's like, wow, that's great. Now, it had been officially announced that the Jacksons were going out on tour in 2012. So I knew they were already putting the band together. Or the band was already together and they were getting ready to. So, well, gee whiz. I wonder what's going to happen with the drum chair. I'm thinking nothing of the Jacksons other than that's going to be a fun tour, whoever does it, if Charles is not going to do it. So then I get an email from Stacy Lamont Sidner, and he's asking me to put in a word to Rex for. Like, okay, great. So as I'm emailing Rex, hey, man, can you give Stacy a call? He's really interested in this drum chair. Noriko calls me. She never calls international. And she says, Rex is trying to get a hold of you. Cool. So I call Rex and I say, hey, man, what's up? He's like, look here. I don't know if you heard. Street is going to do J-Lo. We need a drummer. I can't do this tour without you. So Rex, I'm I'm in the middle of this Michael tour. He's like, what's it going to take for you to leave Michael? I said, "Okay, I got to think about this because I've got like a three week break. And then we go out on another leg of the Bolton tour. What you're asking me to do is resign. This guy's got three weeks to get a, another drummer and, and designate a musical director and all that. And I'm not going to be the most popular person in his uh, atmosphere. He's like, okay, well, 
talk to Noriko, let me know. So I said, okay, that's fair enough. So I, I called Noriko and, and it was one of those things where I had been a musical director by that time for a lot of years, for a lot of different tours. And I wanted a break. I just wanted to play drums. And this was an opportunity. So Noriko says, well, if that's how you feel, you know, you got my support. Fly back home from Australia and the plane like doesn't even hit the tarmac. And my phone rings and it's Rex. Hey, man, what's happening? So Rex, I'm not even off the plane. I still got to go through customs. Just give me a minute. On the ride home, I said, okay, Noriko, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to type up my letter of resignation. I'm going to call Rex. And if he can guarantee me that, you know, I got a job, I'll hit send. And so I got home and I called Rex and it's like, I'm going to hit send if it's a go. He's like, it's a go, it's a go. I hit send and that's how I got the Jackson's gig. And much like Shaka's reaction to me when the brothers met me, it's the same for them. They come into rehearsal and Rex goes, hey guys, I want you to meet your drummer, Chad. And Jackie bursts out laughing. And it was funny because I was like, I get it. I've been here before. And Rex goes, oh yeah, just wait. So um, we play rock with you or something. And then Jermaine says, let's hear Shake Your Body. Because that's always the groove that they want to check the drummer with. And uh, so I played the groove and they were like, yeah, okay. (laughs) That's how I got the gig. So how long have you been touring with them? Since 2012. So it's... We're talking eight years now. It's coming up eight years. Hard to believe. And being on the road with these legends, I bet you learn even more from them just by watching them. Yes. Um, you know, here again, it's about, it's like I said, like with, with any of the artists I've played with, they're, they're used to certain musicians. They've got this barometer that they judge everyone by. So you need to give them that before you can give them any of you. Um, once they hear that, they let you go. But one of the things that I learned uh, from the Jackson's gig is, um, okay, like you do a solo on Shaka show or Lee show any, you know, it's like, go, this is your moment. Whatever's in your head, let's go. With them, they want it the same way every night. No info, even a solo, same solo. That's, that's that school. That's where they come from. So that was a big learning, learning curve of, retention you played something you need to remember what you played because when they come in to sound check the next day and they're going hey where's that thing you played what thing you were just messing around and being creative and they go oh no 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 that thing so now you got to try and remember that thing so now you have touring with the jacksons on your resume and then you started touring with bruce hornsby or did you do something before that as well yeah i did i did jordan smith he won the voice um, back in 2016. So I did Jordan Smith for like uh, from 2016 to two th- through 2017. That, and that was fun. Here again, Cheche Lara. Because it was a voice, it was so many different types of music. You know, he, he did the pop thing. He did the gospel thing. You know, he did... Um, we never really did a country thing, but, you know, more like a t- contemporary Christian. So it was really cool to to have to change hats very quickly. Like being at Berkeley, doing a singer showcase or something. And now you're touring with Bruce Hornsby, which is different again. How are you experiencing that? Yeah, uh, here again, Bruce Hornsby is, 
it's another show you don't know with so many different styles of music. That's one. There's no format. And well, let, let me rephrase that. There's a, there's a method to the madness. We don't play the same song the same way twice. And you don't repeat a song like show after show or, you know, if you heard it one night, you're definitely not going to hear it tomorrow night. That sort of thing. So there's a lot of information to learn. It was just here again, Bruce records every show. He multi-tracks every show. So there, were, there was a lot of information to learn from, which is good. So there's really no guessing about what he, what he likes and what, but. Yeah. You worked with multiple artists and you've been on a lot of tours. Looking back, what was the big lesson you learned from working with all these people? Um, honesty, <laughs> which took me a while to, to get a hold of because there, there were some things that some things that I wasn't honest on. But really, honesty, uh, honesty of who you are, honesty of availability for the gig and honesty to the music, to their music. If you don't like playing it, then don't play it. You know, find allow someone else who will like to embody the music and give give the artist the honesty that they're looking for. That's the biggest lesson of film. Okay, so did you ever decline a gig? Yeah. I won't name names. No, of course you don't have to, but what was the reason behind that? Um, no, the only time I've declined gigs is with artists that I've heard things about, where you go, it's one of those things, it's like I said with, with, with the... Uh, I said something in a post weeks ago. If you hear enough about something or someone, you've taken all the information you've gathered and there's more of this and of that, nine times out of 10, this is validated. And with a couple of artists, I've, like I'll ask randomly and they'll say, oh yeah, 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 yeah. And it made me go, great, I made the right decision. Because it's life's too short. Well, you're right, it is. And a tour can be very long. A tour can be very long to put up with something. And, I, and that, that's vice versa, too. I mean, you know, that goes for me. If, if I were a jerk, I know people don't like to work with jerks. So I try my best to not be a jerk. You know, some people can get away with it. And it's cool. Uh, if, you, if a person's willing to put up with it, that's good for them. At the moment, what would be your advice to a drummer who's just starting out and would love to have a similar career, what would be the best thing to do right now? Um, do the same thing that I did that anyone has ever done. Study your craft, study who you like, study the music that you want to play. One of the things I would emphasize that a lot of people aren't doing is if you don't know how to read music, learn how to read music. And one of the reasons why I'm surviving in this pandemic is my ability to read music. So when I go in there to record a drum track for somebody, you know, they kind of need it back in like an hour. So, you know, I, I, I can't take 45 minutes just to figure out the song. So reading really helps that. Or, you know, I just did a show the other day, COVID uh, cleared video filming. It was sight reading on the gig. And I got the gig because the guy that they originally got, who's one of the most badass drummers I know, he just doesn't know how to read. And you know, and it was one of those gigs where it was like, yeah, there's no, there's no second take. 
Well, like you just mentioned, everyone is stuck in this pandemic currently, and it has a huge impact on the music industry, especially the venues and the touring musician. How are you coping with that at the moment? This room. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny. I knew the minute, the minute I get off the plane from Jakarta, I knew we were going to get locked down. And I had one more thing I was about to, well, I was in rehearsals with Warren Hill for his tour, doing like a week run. And uh, the night before we were to split, we totally got shut down. So when I got off that plane in Jakarta, I knew this was going to be my refuge. I just knew it. Uh, and thank God. And when you find any musician, when you find yourself in that situation, figure out, figure out something else that you can do, you want to do. And take some time, learn how to do it, and just kind of delve in and cope until things get back to normal. Yeah, hopefully soon. Oh, man, knock on wood. I'm, I'm counting on it. I know. Are you already planning things for after the pandemic? I mean, I've already got a, a tour schedule. So Bruce's tour is already ready to go. They just moved everything to this year. Uh, same dates from last year to this year. Same thing with the brothers. There are a couple of dates that have fallen in, but they've rescheduled a lot of stuff. So Okay, uh, so you're going to do both tours. Yeah, yeah. But now Stacey Lamont Sidner, when, whenever I have Bruce dates and they clash, Stacey plays drums on, on the Jacksons. Yeah, I saw him play. And, you know, he sounded really good as well. So is there still something missing on your resume? Yeah, that's a good question. I was just thinking about it. You know, it's funny. Um, I was watching something on YouTube last night, an old uh, Robert Townsend show, and Patrice was the MD. I still would love to play with Patrice Russian. That that's like of like artists. That's kind of like where I'm at. At one point, I wanted to, to do Clapton, but now that he's slowing down and Sonny's doing the dates, so uh, which is kind of which is how I got the Hornsby gig. So, but. Um, yeah, I mean, there's still other artists. I wouldn't mind doing uh, another, like, really huge pop tour. I w was really dying to do, like, a Phil Collins thing, but I understand. But his son does such a great job. He doesn't need anybody. <laughs> so, uh, you know, Nick Collins is, is, is just killing it. That's it. And then my other thing that I've been doing during the pandemic is being a studio head now. Um, I'm really exploring um, the best way to record drums like it's an obsession of mine and it's it's always been a, a, an obsession but once the pandemic came into play and I was relegated to here it was like well then I need to make my stuff sound like the best ever so that's kind of where I'm at now as, as a engineer is going to the next plateau well that sounds good so as a segment of the show I have five random questions for you Shoot. The first one being, is there still an instrument you want to learn how to play? Yes, guitar. I know three chords from when, you know, I was like 13 uh, from playing on my brother's guitar. Yeah. Okay, so what do you prefer? Acoustic or electric drums? Tough. Because I love them both. They're, they're different instruments to me. I guess at the end of the day... Acoustic, nothing like pushing air. So at home, you play both? Um, no, I only have, I don't have an electronic kit. I have some multi-pads here, but I don't have a full E-kit. Uh, it's, it's my full Jackson's double bass drum kit set up in the living room, all mic'd. 
for two reasons. So I can stay conditioned on it. So when I do play it, it doesn't feel foreign to me. And then like every drum and thing object known to man is on. So it's like a Hal Blaine studio kit. So I can get every sound and texture. So do you have a routine when you practice drums? Uh, yeah, I try and warm up. I do like about 20 or 30 minutes of a, of a warm up of pad stuff. And then after that, I'm practicing stuff that I haven't explored before. Um, that's just so it's like warm up and then something I've never done, something that's never entered my head or I've heard somebody going, I got to get that. That's what I, that's my thing. So what do you prefer playing live or in the studio? And here again, two different instruments. Uh, I, I think if I have to pick one live, it's nothing, there's nothing like witnessing energy from the stage get transferred to the audience and then getting that energy coming back. Yeah. Just that cycle of, of transmit and receive. Well, yeah, I get that. The last question is when you look back at your life until now, are you happy where you're at at the moment? I am happy, but I'm, there's still more. I'm happy, but I'm not satisfied. I'm still, I'm still after perfection, whatever that is. Okay, here's to tie things up. I witnessed some of my drum heroes when I moved out here. They sounded great, but then they also sounded complacent. Just very comfortable in the skin that they were in, being who they were, letting their resume and their, you know, reputation be, you know, play the drums as opposed to like, well, that didn't sound very good, did it? That wasn't. So I had always said to myself, I never want to get to that point. I never want to get to a point where I'm just satisfied. Because once I'm satisfied, that means I stop practicing or I stop caring and wanting to get better. And then, then you run the risk of uh, not getting hired anymore. And I mean, you know, this is L.A. Every other drummer out here is badass. So, so I, it's, it's more so of just being able to deliver when you get the call. And that's, you know, and that people going, ooh, wow, gee whiz. Well, another thing I want to ask, because you just mentioned that there are a lot of drummers in Los Angeles. Is there like a lot of competition between the musicians? You know, I think it's a healthy competition. I also don't like, I don't socialize like with a lot of drums. Like I don't hang in like drum circles, you know, cats. I have my friends that I, I've, you know, I'm close with that happen to be drummers, but maybe I'm not aware because I'm not involved, but I just see more of a healthy competition and more so I see more guys helping other guys. Th that's from my perspective. Now, if somebody else knows something different, okay, I'll, I'd like to continue to be naive. Well, Chad, thank you so much for sharing your story and all that you have accomplished on the Music Note podcast. Thank you. It's an amazing journey, which isn't over yet. So I'm looking forward what the future will bring you. And I'm also looking forward to see you live on stage Me again. I, I hope soon. Man, I, I miss you guys. I can't wait to see you again. Well, we miss you too. And we'll definitely meet up soon again. Thank you again so much, Chad. And we'll see you soon. Yeah, definitely. Thank you again for listening to episode four of the Music Note podcast. Don't forget to visit the website musicnote.com and please do leave a comment. Join me again next week for another episode of the Music Note podcast. Bye for now.